0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, August 15th. I'm Samantha Sherris, and joining today's show is Peter Wood. Peter is the president of the nonprofit organization National Association of Scholars, which, according to its website, upholds the standards of a liberal arts education that fosters intellectual freedom, searches for the truth, and promotes virtuous citizenship. Earlier this year, the National Association of Scholars was awarded the Heritage Foundation's Innovation Prize for a project related to China known as Corrupting the Classroom, Confucius Classrooms, and the CCP's infiltration of American K-12 education. Peter joins today's episode to discuss the project, concerns surrounding the Chinese Communist Party's influence in the U.S. education system, and much more. We'll get to our conversation right after this.
1: The Heritage Foundation is the most
0: effective conservative policy organization in the country. Every semester our interns are a vital part of that mission. We pay competitively, we develop talent, and we give our interns access to some of the sharpest minds in the country. We're going on offense, so join us. To learn more about the Young Leaders Program here at the Heritage Foundation, please go to heritage.org intern. Peter Wood is joining today's episode of the Daily Signal podcast. Peter has been the president of the National Association of Scholars since 2009. Earlier this year, the National Association of Scholars was awarded the Heritage Foundation's Innovation Prize for its work related to communist China. Peter, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course. Now, before we get any further with our conversation today, can you tell us a little bit more about the National Association of Scholars?
1: We were founded in the mid-1980s as among the first serious efforts to push back against what was then recognized as political correctness. Uh, A group of several hundred uh, faculty members from around the country created the organization. Uh, It thrived pretty well during the 1990s. And then as it became clear that we were basically losing the battle against political correctness, it faded for a while. But we've been back strong in the last 15 years or so and are uh, actively looking for those places where we think there's serious leverage that can be brought against our colleges and universities' descent into a kind of uh, ideological madness that has overtaken that sector of our society.
0: And as I mentioned earlier, the National Association of Scholars was awarded the Heritage Foundation's Innovation Prize, um, and that was for a project related to China known as Corrupting the Classroom, Confucius Classrooms, and the CCP's Infiltration of American K-12 Education. Tell us a little bit more about this project.
1: Well, the project is the direct outgrowth of a project that we started working on almost 10 years ago when we identified Confucius Institutes uh, at the college level as a project that was being run by the Chinese Communist Party to gain ac- access to and influence over American colleges and universities. We produced some hefty reports on that that got the attention of members of Congress as well as uh, some administrative agencies. And although the Chinese Communist Party fought back, after a while they realized that they had a branding problem and they decided to remove the name Confucius Institutes to these uh, entities on our college campuses and have them go dark. Now, the American press oftentimes uh, misreported that as the actual closing of the institutes and their disappearance, where in fact what really happened is that they they got renamed, relabeled, moved around a little bit, but, but China was not to be defeated that easily. While we were working on the Confucius Institutes, we gained some knowledge of a the the junior version of Confucius Institutes, Confucius classrooms, which were being spotted into uh, American uh, K-12 education around the country, oftentimes at uh, the sorts of schools that were feeders to elite colleges and universities. So they wanted to get access to America's students at an even younger age and make sure they were well disposed towards China at least China in the version of it that the Chinese Communist Party sees fit to share. So that's what we're doing now. And with, with the help of Heritage's prize money on this, we are delving into what these Confucius classrooms are actually doing. Now, in some ways, it's a harder target for us than the Confucius Institutes. The, the Institutes had an institutional uh, structure that made them fairly easy to spot. The Confucius classrooms don't have a single name for them. They go under many different names. And the schools that have them are being very cagey about what what they are and what they're doing. So this is requiring a fair amount of on the ground uh, poking around and research to get hold of uh, important information.
0: Definitely, and it is such an important topic, um, especially when we think about you know the Chinese Communist Party's infiltration of uh, you know American K through twelve schools, as we've been talking about. And one thing I wanted to ask you about are some of the concerns surrounding you know CCP influence in our education system, especially as as you have been you know digging into at National Association of Scholars in the K through twelve level.
1: Well, part of this is um, simply propagandizing the students so that they learn about China but they don't learn about the South China Sea, which uh, is being heavily militarized by China. They they don't learn about the plight of the Uyghurs, the efforts to engage in organ harvesting, the efforts to suppress uh, Tibet. Um, There are in China uh, so many policies that violate human rights and which uh, signal the aggressiveness of the regime there, which has its designs on becoming a worldwide hegemon, uh, that need to be presented to Americans in a softer light. So what's happening in these schools is that they They learn that China is a benevolent institution, the heir of an ancient civilization uh, that means nothing but uh, goodwill to the rest of the world. Um, So there's that aspect to it as well. Um, And the, the notion that you can take children who have some aptitude for the hard sciences and math and get them to view China as a potential partner and friend, uh, I think is very disturbing as well. So we have on one hand the broad uh, misleading imaging of China, but also the notion that China can be a partner to these students all through their educational careers. We're we're creating an assembly line for uh, talented young men and women who will be unable to distinguish the american national interest from the chinese national interest they're getting blurred together at a young age and that's very difficult to undo once it's done
0: definitely and something else i was curious about and and this could you know relate back to the confucius institutes and how widespread they were throughout the country um i know a number of those institutes have closed when we're looking at, you know, the K-12 through school infiltration, how widespread is that throughout the U.S.? Is it, you know, in certain states? Is it in certain areas of the country? What have you been finding?
1: Well, it's almost everywhere. That is, in every state that we've looked at, we have found instances of it. Uh, but I would say it's concentrated on in the feeder schools to elite education, which means mostly West Coast and East Coast but not exclusively those. The effort here is China's not just spreading around its uh, resources uh, promiscuously across the land. It's looking for places where buying influence will yield results in the the long term. So it's widespread, but much more prevalent uh, here on the East Coast and in California.
0: That's super interesting. One thing I, from like a parental perspective in terms of, you know, being more active in what their kids are learning, maybe listening to this episode, we've done a few other episodes, a few other interviews on this issue of Confucius classrooms, this infiltration in K through 12 schools. What should parents be looking for as the school year is getting back into the swing of things? What would you suggest they be on the lookout for, for potential, you know, influence from China?
1: Well, I think if they find their children learning Chinese phrases and uh, becoming interested in what's going on in China, uh, a few diagnostic questions about, well, what have you learned about the Uyghurs, what have you learned about uh, Tibet, Uh, might tip the parents off that um, the kind of education they're getting is skewed towards one side of the picture. Another thing to look for is who's doing the teaching. Do any of the teachers themselves happen to be seconded here by China? That is, in most of our schools, uh, our teaching is done by American educated teachers, but the Confucius classrooms involved a certain amount of bringing in uh, People approved by the the Hanban, the Chinese agency that that runs these things. Um, So knowing who the teachers are counts. Uh, If the children are bringing home textbooks or printed material, uh, that too is a a good giveaway because China supplies that material. And and you can imagine that the material that it is supplying to the classrooms is not objective. it is there for a purpose and uh, those are all good ways to flag a Confucius classroom in operation. Uh, what you can't really do is ask your school directly, do you have a Confucius classroom? Um, they may not be familiar with the term, if they're honest, um, but if they have something to hide, they just will say no. And uh, that, that's where a little bit of independent digging is required
0: definitely and before we shift topics i just wanted to get your thoughts on what can or should be done at the federal and state level in terms of legislation regarding you know confucius classrooms chinese infiltration and in k-12 through schools obviously you know congress is in recess right now but what would you like to see them focus on regarding this issue uh, you know when they return in september
1: well, I would like them to cut off the money supply. I don't think American schools need to be financially supported by foreign powers. Um, this is true not only of China, but of other nations that have realized that they can gain influence in the U.S. via our schools. So the, the cleanest solution would not be one that singles out China, but one which says that American schools should not be funded by foreign powers, especially by foreign powers that are adversaries of the United States, if not declared enemies. Um, so that that would go a long way. Um, but uh, the, in addition to that, or maybe it's instead of it in some cases, would be a demand for transparency, that if you are going to be involved with having uh, a program that is created, funded, orchestrated by some other nation. You have to tell the parents, the students, and the state what you're doing. Uh, Having all this happen uh, behind a veil is a terrible idea. Uh, We've got enough of our own problems in K-12 education in this country that we don't need to import new ones.
0: Now, Peter, just before we go, I wanted to just Circle back to what we were talking about in the beginning with just the National Association of Scholars and if you could tell us a little bit more about the other great work that you've been doing, you know, in addition to digging into, you know, China's infiltration and influence of of K through 12 schools.
1: Well, we're we're a multi-front organization. Uh, we are for example taking a look at how the diversity, equity, inclusion doctrine has uh, become established in faculty recruitment around the country and uh, how it has affected the curricula of colleges as well as K-12 education. We are a prolific proposer of legislation at the state level to fix these things, and some of our proposals have uh, uh, taken root and made their way into law already or are in the process of becoming law. We work on the issues of uh, fighting against the uh, progressive censorship of uh, faculty members as well as curricula. So when individuals are fired for having said something that is truthful but untimely, uh, we go to bat for them. So a fair amount of our work is trying to fix that. We have been paying a lot of attention now for about a decade to the uh, explosion in administrative staff in colleges, which now far outnumbers in in actual headcount the faculty members of most colleges and universities. And we've been looking at the student debt crisis and what can be done about that. But just about any issue that points towards the mischief that has been created by progressive domination of colleges and universities uh, we have our hand in and we've been gratified over the last decade or so by the turn in public attention it used to be that it was very difficult to get parents and students and faculty members for that much that matter uh, really interested in trying to repair what had gone wrong but nowadays that's not the case the, the parents around the country have Uh, risen up in effect. Um, Almost every day I'm hearing from people who would not normally have been writing to an organization with scholars in its name uh, saying, how can you you help me? Or what can I do to help you? And uh, I think that there has just been this uh, sea change in the American public's attitude towards uh, education generally that has uh, taken the form, uh, if you believe the Gallup polls, uh, that Amer- Americans now look with—I uh, wouldn't say it's disdain, but they look with discomfort on what goes on in classrooms at every level, um, and that this has been brought about by the uh, the left's uh, sort of heedless crowing of victory. They thought they had taken over these institutions once and for all. They were getting good return on their investment in the form of uh, anything from Soros prosecutors to majority uh, uh, control of various houses of uh, the legislatures in many, many states. And they just sort of got complacent about it. Oh, we can do anything. We can even force people to uh, say that there aren't two sexes, but there's 87 genders or whatever. All these uh, extremely aggressive efforts to control what people can say and think have brought about a reaction. Now, I don't particularly like being called a reactionary, but uh, yes, we are reacting against the uh, destruction of a noble institution, and not just a noble institution, but one that is crucial to the survival of our civilization and our prosperity as a nation. So we all agree that education is important, but it's taken a while for conservatives and just middle of the road people to come round to realizing that all that is at risk and we need to do something. So uh, I'm grateful for the help that Heritage is giving us and, and many other things that Heritage is doing to advance this cause. It, it wasn't always the case that education was at the top of the list of things that the Heritage Foundation presented as its agenda. Um, But it is now. And I, I think that, too, is evidence that something has decisively changed in American life.
0: Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we go, I just wanted to ask how people can learn more about the National Association of Scholars and the work that you've been doing.
1: Our website, which is a very simple nas.org, uh, is the perfect place to learn about what we're doing. Uh, we publish a, a daily uh, kind of magazine called Minding the Campus, which is accessible through the website or just at Minding the Campus. Those are two good ways to find out what we're up to.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll definitely make sure to leave a link to Uh, the association's website in the show notes so people can check that out. Peter Wood, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Great, and thank you for having me.
0: And that's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Peter Wood. If you haven't gotten a chance, make sure you subscribe to The Daily Signal wherever you get your podcasts and help us reach even more listeners by leaving a five-star rating and review. We read and appreciate all of your feedback. Thanks again for listening. Have a great Tuesday, and we'll be back with you all this afternoon for top news. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.